How do you discover your convictions? How do you decide your most firmly held beliefs? How do you shape the very core thoughts, preferences, and commitments that you hold? How do you discover your convictions? We all, uh, whether we know it or not, are having our convictions shaped. Uh, Whether it's a person or a thing or a group of people, all of us have convictions that are being shaped. How do you discern your convictions? Uh, It could be that you uh, shape your convictions through things like art or literature or media, or maybe it's through or by um, trusted leaders or teachers or maybe parents, or or maybe for some of us, uh, we just kind of find ourselves believing certain things because that's kind of like what everyone believes. It's kind of like common sense. How do you discern your convictions? Now, because our convictions are constantly being influenced and shaped, I want to invite you to critically look at and explore your convictions, especially your deepest convictions about who you are, about who God is, about what's wrong with the world, and about how we move forward in a world that seems to be messed up or broken. And I want to caution you, especially for those of y'all that are like Bible people. So I'm a Bible guy kind of like it. Um, I strive to follow Jesus and allow the scriptures to shape my convictions by the spirit of the the resurrected Jesus. I know that might kind of sound weird, but that's, I'd love to talk with you more about this after. But here's the deal. As, As kind of a Bible guy, as like a Jesus guy, as someone who's trying to follow Jesus, one of the things I've noticed, maybe some of y'all Jesus folks noticed it too, and I know not everyone here is figured out what they think about Jesus yet, and I'm so glad that you're here. You get to eavesdrop a little bit on us today as we kind of talk about and explore the scripture about how it is that our convictions are shaped. But especially as a Bible guy, one of the things that I'm, 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 I'm noticing is that there's an awful lot of people who say that the Bible says something that it doesn't actually say, or that Jesus promotes an idea that Jesus actually promotes the opposite idea of. You guys ever seen this before? Okay, great. So um, I was talking with somebody the other day, very sweet person, kind, compassionate, thoughtful, earnest, really, really wants to follow Jesus. But as we were talking, we were talking about how uh, the scriptures can give us wisdom for like current uh, policy discussions that we're having as, as a community here in Phoenix and then also as Americans. And so we were touching on all sorts of stuff, immigration, uh, gun policy, education, and things like that. And one of the things that this person was saying just kind of, it kind of stuck in my ear a little bit. This, this person would say things like, well, you know like what the Bible says about gun rights. Now, I, I, I was, I, I kind of heard it and let it go. I'm like, okay, you know, and in the back of my mind, I'm like, there's nothing in the Bible about gun rights because guns didn't exist yet. You know, the only thing maybe Samson because he had some, you know, like these guns, but, you know, I mean, come on, just, you know. So they, they, the, another thing that this person said, you, you, you know, like what the Bible says about school choice. And I was like, man, the public education systems, I don't think it's that old. And, and I've read the Bible, and there are schools, but they're like prophecy schools, and I don't think that's what you mean. So I, 
So I finally stopped this person. I was like, listen, I, I, you keep saying stuff, and I'm just, I just want to unpack a little bit. Like, can you tell me what you mean? You, you said, like, what the Bible says about gun rights, school choice, and a few other things, and I, I'm not sure. Can you tell me what the Bible says about those things? And this person said, well, you're a pastor. And I was like, I am, and I, you know, I get like, paid to do this stuff, and I've, you know, it's, there's nothing there. So we, we had a conversation, about a two-hour conversation, and one of the things that we talked about is how the Bible works. And, and in this person's mind, how the Bible was working is they had uh, some leadership that was forming their deepest convictions that were saying to them things like this. Uh, the Bible says uh, this position on gun rights. The Bible says this position on school choice and on and on and on. And, and it was kind of a copy-paste, like they would kind of take a verse out of the Bible, rip it out of its context, and apply it to their preferred policy preference. And I, and I just, I, I, I kept asking questions, which I think is really wise to do when you're in a conversation with someone when you kind of maybe disagree on, on how the Bible applies. And I just said, listen, I totally think the Bible is designed to give us a godly, Jesus-centered wisdom for operating in the world today, including the very nuanced and difficult conversations that we need to be having about schooling and education and, and funding and gun rights and gun safety. Like, like the Bible needs to shape us, but but the way you're kind of doing it, it sounds like you're just kind of ripping stuff out of context, slapping it on the side of your position in order to justify your position. Is that what's going on? And this person said, you're right, that's exactly what I'm doing. They had no idea. They had been having their uh, convictions shaped by, a, in their mind, a trusted leader who was just kept repeating the same things over and over again. And they just, this person had not actually done the work on their own. <clears throat> How many of you all, cheated in math class. Now, parents, if you're sitting next to your kids, you do not need to raise your hand. If you just want to give me a little, a little, just so I can, so you can, you know, just a little. Okay, so I know, so that's most of you. For the rest of you that didn't cheat in math class, we thank you. Because you were the ones that we, that we got our answers from, you know? Like, we, we weren't leaning over to tell secrets. Like, we were, we were just, this was a utilitarian situation. We just, you know, so, so if you cheat on your, so, so I, <coughs> Never did it, a pastor. But I've, my parents are calling me a liar. I did it all the time, um, and I'm, I've paid the price for it. When, when you cheat at math, when you just get the right answer, hold on now, when you're doing math and you just do the right answer, what inevitably does a good teacher say? They mark you off, even though you got the right answer, what do they mark you off for? Because you didn't... You did not show your work. And when we take convictions uncritically, when we borrow convictions, we fail to be wise. Even if we get the right answer because we failed to do the work, we've actually just kind of dumbly copied and pasted somebody else's convictions. How do you discern your convictions? Is it a trusted leader that you simply copy and paste? You know, what do they believe? Well, if they believe it, I believe it. Well, your math teacher would be very upset because you're just not showing your work. The scripture is designed to make us wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus. It's an invitation to be reformed and reshaped. What I'd like to do for our time together today is to invite you into a lifelong process of having the spirit of the living God through the scriptures engaged with in a bunch of misfits in the local church like us, to go through that process to have your convictions shaped and even the painful process of having your firmly held convictions reshaped. The, the Spirit of God uh, ain't done with us yet.
And, and so there's, a, there's a, a great invitation in the scripture to enter into a local, a diverse local church family where people have different convictions. Hmm? Go Cowboys. Right? We have, some of us are heretics, right? 49ers fans, for instance. And, and so we're, it's, we're, we have different convictions, we have different perspectives, and we are going to, unified by the power of the living God, engage the same scripture together with our different views, and in unity, love, compassion, gentleness, grace, long-suffering, and self-control, converse about that, and have, through that process, our convictions sometimes disturbed, sometimes awakened, sometimes reformed and reshaped in the safe context of a loving Jesus-centered community where we're not yelling at each other all the time. Does the, let me ask you a question, <clears throat> hypothetical. Could you ever imagine a time in uh, America where something like that is needed? Okay, so here we go. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at, and for the next few weeks, we're going to look at a scripture. It's been foundational to the very core of our church. It's shaped my leadership style. It's shaped the leadership of our church family. It's shaped the direction that we're going in. I'd encourage you, if you have, uh, did you guys receive a handout on your way in? So go ahead and open that up. I just want to draw your attention right quick. I think it's the third or fourth page uh, where it says notes. At the bottom, here's what we're going to do uh, for the next few weeks. Uh, during the course of the sermon, if you want to text in a question about the text or literally any question about faith, Christianity, the Bible, uh, at 11 o'clock, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet in here with any of y'all that want to meet, and at 11 o'clock, I'll respond to any question that you have. Literally, there's no question that's off limits. If there is a question that's off limits, I would just draw your attention to the fact that it was texted in, and I'm not going to tell anyone that it was texted in. See what, see what I did there? Okay. So someone's going to be like, what color is your underwear? And I'm going to just ignore that one. Okay. So any question that you text, I will respond to. So you can text it to that number. And then at 11 o'clock, we'll meet in here. So you guys can go after we dismiss from our worship gathering. You guys can go grab a coffee, grab a, a, a pastry, and then meet me back in here. Our students are going to meet us in here as well. Uh, and we'll dialogue about the text together. We're going to do that for the duration of this series. The series will be in Ephesians chapter 3 and 4. You've got it printed out there. And just a couple of notes. Uh, one is there's a couple words that I, I've intentionally transliterated. I know this sounds funny and strange, but just hang with me. I've transliterated the, the Greek words uh, in English characters in order to tease something out. It's going to seem weird at first. You'll get it when we, as we go along. All right? And so uh, that's there for you to uh, look at. I'll also have it up on the screen. We're going to be in Ephesians 3 and 4. And again, I'd invite you to text in questions and then join me at 11 o'clock in here. We, um, so, so are you ready? Here we go. Okay. So Ephesians chapter three, verse one and on. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump ahead on a few of these to so just hang with me. You guys can notice I'm putting the citations up this. So check this out. This, this is a letter to a local church from a pastor named Paul who had a radical experience with Jesus. Paul, and when we first meet Paul, he's in the book of Acts and he's murdering Christians. And then he has this like huge awakening of his convictions. Jesus disrupts his convictions and talk, calls him to turn from the way he was going. This is a word called repentance or to have your mind blown. To turn from going your own way, to, to repent or to have your mind blown and to follow Jesus. And so Paul does that. He's a pastor now many years later and he's writing to a church in a place called Ephesus. So he says this, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, notice this, for the sake of you, does anybody notice this word? 
that's not okay. So that's not English. That's, that's a Greek word transliteration. Uh, it usually gets translated in your Bible as Gentiles. I actually don't like that translation of Gentiles because we don't use that word. Uh, ethnos, maybe a better way to translate it is the national other. And I don't mean national by government. I mean like ethnic. Eth- Does ethnos sound like ethnic? Yeah. So, so it's, it's very close. It's, it's like ethnicity, identifiable people group. In this case, it's the ethnic outsiders. So he's talking about the ethnic insiders. In this case, it's the Jews. And he says that he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the sake of the ethnic other. Do you see it? Come on now, talk to me now. You guys see it? Okay, so this is his point. I, I, am, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of all the ethnic outsiders. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation, I know that's a weird word, it just means something that was revealed by God. By revelation, there was made known to me the mystery that I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you, notice it says, when you read, another way to translate that is when you hear it read aloud. So whether you want to say read or hear it read aloud, you can understand, notice this, you can understand. When you, church in Ephesus, read or hear read this thing I'm telling you right now that's connected to all of the teachings of God before, his assumption is that as a community, a diverse bunch of misfits in the church of Ephesus, as you hear it read aloud, you'll be able to talk about it and do what? that you'll be able to understand, but it doesn't mean like one person sitting at home reading their Bible. It's you as a community will be able to understand. You guys tracking so far? Now, what are they able to understand? The mystery of God. What's the mystery of God, you might ask? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Let's keep going. Which in other generations, this mystery was not made known to the sons of men or humans. As it has now been, what's the word? Revealed. So something fresh happened, and I think he's talking about something that's been revealed because of Jesus. Okay? His holy apostles, apostles of weird word. Uh, my name's Apostle Caleb. Is that strange to many of you guys? Okay, yeah. So apostle is kind of weird in modern language. It just means a person who's sent. Uh, another, you could maybe think of it like a missionary. Okay, so uh, the apostles and prophets, prophets just means people who speak God's truth to real life today in the power of the Spirit, to be specific, that the ethne or ethnic others are fellow heirs and fellow members of what? The body of Christ. This is the mystery. Because of Jesus, everybody who? Everybody's invited into the kingdom of God. The kingdom kingdom of God is not ethnocentric. It's also not same or homogenous. It's all the ethnicities of the world, all the identifiable people groups of the world being brought in. And it's this unfolding mystery that because of Jesus, everybody gets brought in. We are also fellow uh, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This, what's the word? Grace was given to preach to the ethnicine or the ethnic others the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light that which is the administration of the mystery. The administration of the mystery is this. If the mystery of God is that all the ethnic others, because of Jesus, get brought into the kingdom of God and the local church is the representative of the kingdom of God, what's the administration of the mystery? It's a diverse local church. It's, the administ- it's how you administer this mystery that's now been unveiled. You guys tracking? So for, listen, uh, TV time. For those of y'all who've been around here for a while, you've heard maybe me say things like, we're a bunch of misfits. Yeah. And maybe we've recoiled at that and that's okay. 
It's an intentionally chosen word. Because apart from Jesus, we don't fit together. But because of Jesus, all the others, hmm, whoever's other than you, gets invited in and we're bound together, not by our common affinities, but by what? The unfathomable riches of God's grace made known to us through Jesus. And the unfolding mystery is that the kingdom of God is for all peoples, not just me and mine. And the local church is the administration of that unfolding mystery. So that when we discover each other and we say, oh, you're quite different than me, we remember, oh, that's right. The gospel's for who? Everyone, okay. Even the people you hate? Here we go. Okay, I'm not going to preach. We're going to keep going. Okay, so, um, okay, here we go. This series is called Manifold Wisdom. That's a funny word. It's not about the thing on your car. Here's what it is. Notice here, God created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God, manifold means diverse or of various kinds. Uh, How many of you guys have ever seen like on the movies, like like a big diamond, right? Or how many of you have a big diamond? Maybe some of you guys do Let's talk later about a donation opportunity here at Desert Spring. Okay, so big diamond. You hold up a big diamond. It's got all these cuts on it, right? And you hold that diamond up to a light. You take a flashlight and hold that diamond up. What inevitably comes out of the diamond? What is it? Rainbow colors, right? All the different colors. Because of the multifaceted nature of the diamond, when the light hits it, you see its manifold wisdom on display. Hmm? The many-faceted, many-cut, many-colored. These are all different ways to translate that word, manifold. The many-colored, the diverse, the multifaceted wisdom of God is on display through, hold on, hang on, here we go. I think this is like, the local church made up of a bunch of misfits, bound together by the love and grace of God made known to us through Jesus Christ, right? The unfathomable riches of Christ. And we are living out the administration of the mystery, which for the ages had been hidden, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be, watch this, made known through the church. So when other people look at the, man, the manifold nature of the church and all of its colors on display, they see the wisdom of God, which is contrary to the wisdom of this age. You guys tracking with me so far? Another way to say it is people look in and they say, it's so weird you guys are together and like, it and, and like being together. Because out there, outside the church, we all just hate each other. Like in here, this is how it's supposed to work anyways, in here, political differences don't divide us. Right? Ethnic differences don't divide us. In fact, we see the difference in the other and we actually celebrate God because of the distance between us. That's how, and so everyone else looks in and goes, what is going on in there? And it puts on display the manifold wisdom of God through the church. Hmm? Okay, here we go. Uh, Oh, and it puts it on display to the, (laughs) this is crazy. Um, Ask me this at 11. The rulers, authorities in the heavenly places, the power structures of the kingdom of this world look in on the church and see the manifold wisdom of God on display as a diverse church is unified in Jesus. Like we're literally, if um, um, you guys familiar with the song, Shout at the Devil? Yeah, okay, right? Like, who did that? That wasn't Van Halen, was it? Who was it? Motley Crue? Yeah, okay, they were trash. But I remember that song, okay? (laughs) Shout, shout, shout. So the manifold wisdom of God is literally shouting the gospel at the devil. In a unified, diverse church, it's shouting at the rulers and authorities of this age 
the glory and delight and wonder and love of God. Like, we've got a job to do. This is one of the reasons why I think Paul and actually Jesus as well, they keep saying things like, love one another, forgive one another, be long-suffering with one another, be unified with one another. Why? Because it's the way we shout at the devil. I'm so glad I got to weave in Motley Crue today. I was not expecting that. I, I just, yay, this is great. Okay, so let's keep going. Uh-oh, there we go. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists. These are all just leadership styles in the church. For the, here we go, we're going to get to it, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain, what do we attain? The unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature human. How do you know you're a mature human? Watch this now. According to the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, when you look just like Jesus. How do you know you're mature and you're done having your convictions reformed? When you're just like Jesus. So I get really worried when I hear someone say, I'm a mature Christian. Tell me more. Yeah, like, what? right? I, I, I'm, I'm, um, I haven't changed my convictions since I was 20. Tell me more. Like, you, you've been like Jesus since you were 20? That's outstanding. Can you die and rise from the dead too? Because if so, we worship you too, right? Like, okay, let's keep going. As a result, hang with me now. Come with me. Come on. As a result, we are no longer to be like uh, children. And here he doesn't mean necessarily long. He means helpless. We're no longer to be like helpless children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. What's he talking about? You know what he's talking about. You know what he's talking about, don't you? He's talking about powerful leaders who want to manipulate you by telling you what God says and puts you on the end of their strings. This person I was talking to who said, you know what the Bible says about you know, gun rights. There was somebody at the top who was feeding this person a steady diet of misrepresentations of what God said. And because this person was not showing their work, they were just shaping their convictions by it. And you can see here, even in the earliest days of the church, that there are people who, notice, can carry us around by every wind and wave. Like, if we, let me put it another way, if I can use the metaphor of the text. If we're not anchored in Jesus, then we are like a child in a boat adrift in a storm. And every new idea and every strong leader and every charismatic teacher is just going to smack up on the side of the boat and eventually we capsize into despair and defeat. And what the author is calling us to here is to be anchored in Jesus, to have our convictions shaped by the power of the Holy Spirit through engaging Holy Scripture in the context of a diverse local church family who's committed to unity, even in the midst of diversity, practicing things like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So I want to invite you to be a part of a community, whether it's here or another local church family that's healthy, to practice the fruit of the Spirit 
and approach the differences between us as an invitation to have our convictions either reformed or solidified. But it's a gift that we give to each other when we ask questions and we say, I, I don't see it that way. Can you help me understand what you see? I, I'm not quite sure what that means. This is really confusing to me. Can you help me with this? I, I can't see it your way. Can, well, here's how I feel about it, but, but we're going to commit to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Why is this uh, so needed today? Why is this so needed <laughs> Do I need to ask that question? I don't, I don't mean that as a joke. Like, we live in a community that, that the Bible is currency. I, I remember, I was thinking about this the other day, and there's so much great literature and art that explores this theme, but, but um, I'm not very sophisticated in that regard. So do you guys remember the Book of Eli? Did anyone watch the Book of Eli? The Book of Eli is an explorer. I, actually, there's some violence in it. I just, I, you can be mature and decide for yourself if you want to see it, but... I actually really thought that the, the point of the movie was quite profound. It was this idea that there was this evil villain out there and he kept wanting to get his hands on the, the last copy of this book, this, this powerful book. And he was kind of this evil overlord. And, and then there was this one character, um, Denzel Washington, who was carrying the book. And he's going through this post-apocalyptic wasteland, that's the setting, and there's this tension, there's this fight between these two where, where um, uh, Denzel Washington's character is trying to take the book to a place that will preserve it and use it uh, in the movie's uh, line of thinking in the right way. But then there was this warlord who really wanted the book, and he thought, and he literally says, if I could just get the book, then I can control people. And, and you're never going to guess at the spoiler alert, at the very end, you discover that the book that they're talking about is the because because it, right any leader who wants to leverage God's name for their own power to distort or to excuse me uh, distorting the scripture to manipulate people like this has been going on for two thousand years. That's why Paul wrote about it. So we're going to be anchored in Jesus. We're going to do that in the context of a loving community that practices the fruit of the Spirit. One of the questions I get here at Desert Springs frequently is, why do we keep talking about hard topics? It, and by the way, if you're newer to Desert Springs, you'll notice we talk about stuff like racism, xenophobia, immigration, ageism, consumerism. What are some of the other ones? Oh, we talk about sex and sexuality. We talk about politics and government. We talk about politics and government. We talk about politics and government. You know, these con controversial hard issues. And we, do, we try to do so at tables. We're able to see each other. And we're committing ourselves to to practicing the fruit of the Spirit in the conversation. Why do we do that? I get that question frequently. Why do we do that? Here's the deal. If we can practice the fruit of the Spirit while talking about very difficult, controversial issues, then we will find ourselves wise enough to handle anything that's thrown our way in the future. And by the way, I want to just give you a little spoiler alert. The Bible, the, let me, okay. So the Bible talks more about how you're to be than what you're to believe. And there's a lot about what to believe. Just trust me there. I, I think that's there, man. But there's an awful lot about how you're to be. Another way that, that I've come to say it is, um, do the people with whom I disagree see Jesus in me? Do the people with whom I disagree see Jesus in me? Notice that maturity is when you look like Jesus. When other people, even if they disagree with you, they say, you know what? I don't really like their point but I like them. And, and I really, there's something, something going on with them. 
2020 was an apocalypse. Now, apocalypse does not mean end of the world. Apocalypse in the biblical literature means an unveiling. So if you've ever been to like a really fancy British restaurant in the 1800s, they bring out the, the meal on a silver platter, and over the platter is the, the silver dome. You guys know, does anybody know what that's called? What? Look at you fancy people know what that's called. Yeah, so they bring it out, and, uh, and, and you're kind of, you're not quite sure what's underneath there, but then when the, when the, when the server goes, voila, that's an apocalypse. When you see what was once hidden is now revealed, right? Apocalypse. 2020 was an apocalypse. For the majority of us in this room, we had relationships that we thought things were cool, and then it unveiled some difference between us that for many of us, I'm sad to say, myself included, became what we thought was irreconcilable. We found that there was a great chasm between us and people that we loved and cared for. And for many of us, I know this because you've told me, we're still reeling from that. And so I want to invite you to have your convictions shaped in the context of a Jesus-centered community made of a bunch of misfits who are trying their best to practice love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because only, now listen to me, I want to give you just a little hope. Only in spaces like that will those broken relationships be mended. I guarantee that we will not mend any of these relationships by winning an argument. Only by the power of the Spirit of the living God, as we're practicing the fruit of the Spirit of the living God, do we have any hope of those relationships being reconciled. So I invite you into that process. I have, um, I, I think what we have right now in this particular cultural moment, if you'll allow me, is we've got a high rate of biblical illiteracy, meaning most of us don't read the Bible and we, most of us don't read the Bible in the context of a diverse local church family. And that's, I get paid to do it, so it's kind of like cheating, right? So I, 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 I'm with you, fam. We've got a high degree of biblical uh, illiteracy, a high degree of anxiety and rage, and some power brokers who are gonna use things that sound like the Bible to incite us to anxiety and rage and then demand our allegiance. We're tossed to and fro. You guys tracking with me here? And the answer isn't like destroy the bad guys. That's just using the weapons of this world to fight this world. and It ain't going to work. The other answer is just to try to, by sheer force of will, stop being anxious and ragey all the time. I think the answer is actually back here. When we engage in a loving community of difference, and we go to the word and we invite the spirit in, we're going to find that our convictions are reshaped and our character is reformed so that we're able to enter back into that anxiety-ridden, ragey world in peace, in kindness, in love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Even while the world may rage, we find in Jesus the fruit of the spirit. By the way, just like softball pitch, aren't you drawn to people like that? Like even if they disagree with you on some really important conviction you have, aren't you drawn to spend time with people like that? Right? All right, so there you go. We are, um, oh man, uh, I'm just going to do it. So (laughs) this whole like misfits thing, like reading the Bible together, studying the scriptures together for the rest of our lives, I just want you to imagine 
how different the world will be. Okay, so, uh, okay, hang on now. You guys can ask me questions in the Q&A. Good, okay. Um, do you know that the Bible was used to both justify and fight against slavery in America? Like, same Bible, different takes. And, and, and the Bible was used to justify and to argue against manifest destiny or the Chinese Exclusion Act or the Civil War or the use of the atomic bomb. Let me just ask you to imagine how differently the, the world might be had the slave owners who are arguing from Scripture done Bible study with the enslaved, treating them as equal, different but equals, and saying, do you see the same thing I see in the text? My imagination says inevitably they would say, no. Abu Here we go. Abuse of Scripture is frequently reinforced when it's only discussed and engaged with people who are of the same mind. You don't believe me? Go look at a cult. We can't ask questions here. We can't differ here. We just believe what the leader says. Okay? So imagine how differently the world might be if those who had abused Scripture had actually humbled themselves, engaged in Bible study with people who were very different than them. How might the world be different? Well, we can't change that, but we can be a part of it now so that the future might be different, at least as it relates to God working through us. So again, I want to invite you into this journey. How do you discern your convictions? I believe that the text calls us, and I think it's the wisest, most loving way to do it, that we would have our convictions shaped in the context of a a Jesus-centered group of people who are all different than each other, committed to unity, the fruit of the Spirit, being honest with one another, and focusing on Jesus instead of our differences. So you, got, you want to do that? <laughs> That's my call to action. Like, let's do it, right? So we are committed to helping equip you to do this. A few things, and then I'm going to invite some friends of mine up. Uh, the first one is we, have, we believe in this so much, we've restructured our Sunday gatherings so that we gather for worship at 9.30, and then we have a, a, a time to break. And then at 11 o'clock, uh, we've got over the next few uh, weeks rolling out a bunch of different smaller gatherings so that you can be at a table with people, excuse me, who are different than you. And you can connect Scripture to real life and connect with one another. And so we're going to be rolling that out. You've got some of that information uh, in your packet today. Uh, th some of these, like our rooted groups are going to be coming up. You guys saw that video a moment ago. Those will be starting here on campus, uh, starting in September. There's some other great studies that are going on. I'm doing the, the sermon Q&R in here at 11 o'clock. So I'd encourage you to avail yourself of those opportunities. Two. This is a big deal, and I'd be glad to answer any questions. We're in the beginning phases of looking how it is that we could remodel this room so that we could put tables in here. Listen, I like preaching, and I'm flattered that you would all have bolted-in seats facing me every Sunday. It's flattering. <laughs> but I also know I could preach my heart out for the next 20 years, but if you're not engaging in dialogue about how you see the Scripture, asking questions with people who are different than you, then we're not actually doing discipleship. And so we're looking at how we remodel this space so we can like set up and tear down and kind of flip things over so that we can get around tables more on our campus. How we're going to do that, if you have that big diamond thing, can you cut that in half and little donate. Okay, so just let me know. Um, on our website, we are uh, adding, we continue to add a huge resource library of 
study-based groups that you can uh, connect with a couple other people and just go through the study together. They're topical-based. We're going to continue to leaning in hard conversations that I mentioned before. And the two primary opportunities that are coming up is Rooted, which you just saw the video of, and then a second one is Surge. And so in just a moment, I'm going to invite some friends up. We're going to share with you about what Surge is. Uh, but I'd like to pray, actually, because this, this direction for us as a church directly tethered to this idea of equipping people to discern their own convictions by the power of the Spirit. Um, it, it is a large investment for us. It's a radical direction for our church family. Uh, and so we're going to pray for God's blessing over that now. So would you join me as we pray together? Father, we do pray for this direction. We, we believe that it is the direction that you want us to go. And so we're going. Uh, but we need your wisdom and care to discern all of the practical facets of this thing. We need your help to discern how to best do it, how to format it. Uh, we need leaders, Lord. We need you to raise up leaders to continue to share and guide us, to lead us into deeper conversations with one another. Father, we need your blessing and provision to make this happen. Again, Lord, we believe this is your direction. And so we entrust ourselves into your care, knowing that you're good and you're faithful to fulfill your promises and you're powerful to bring them about. And so we entrust ourselves to you this day, Jesus. Amen.